I thought I would I would do a very quick um, uh, podcast on uh, the coronavirus and its impact on uh, the, the topic of globalization and how many are now suggesting that um, uh, there is a process of deglobalization taking place. That is a reversal of globalization. We can see that with the Brexit vote here in the UK, but we can also see that with the trade wars that Donald Trump has launched, most notably with China. Uh, we can see that with the breakdown of international trade agreements uh, and the uh, Americans in particular that are trying to uh, re, uh, I suppose renegotiate a lot of those agreements with Europe and with Canada. And uh, recently there was a replacement of uh, the um, NAFTA agreement with the uh, USMCA agreement, uh, which gave more favorable trade uh, to America. So uh, there is a, a perception that globalization is, uh, uh, is uh, in reverse and countries are putting up borders. And uh, uh, the, uh, the belief that the world was in this liberal utopia that, that was moving in this direction of, of uh, interdependence and uh, the, uh, the idea that uh, you had these global uh, supply chains which would create the Kantian notion of a, uh, of a world of peace, of zones of peace, uh, seem to now be uh, something that's uh, readily questioned all across the world. Um, now, the um, coronavirus has sparked again, yet again, uh, more discussion about the future of globalization. In a second, I'm going to play an interview, a really great interview, actually, which uh, came out last week. It was an interview on the PM program with uh, between Evan Davis and Francis Fukuyama. And I, I think it's well worth a listen uh, because it, uh, uh, ex uh, it, it, you know, Fukuyama is, is of course, the... Um, uh, the man behind the end of history thesis and the idea that we were on this uh, linear uh, trajectory to liberal uh, democracy and capitalism. Uh, but Fukuyama sounds far more sanguine today and far more pessimistic about the state of the world. And I would like you to listen to that. I would advise you uh, to take some notes on what he says and, and maybe integrate it into a globalization essay because there's a lot of rich content there and he gives some very good uh, evidence uh, explaining uh, his his current way his current uh, thinking maybe just to add my two cents worth um, over the last uh, few weeks really we've seen uh, we've seen you know whole countries or whole regions of countries closed down schools as far afield as Japan to Ireland uh, remain closed, airline scrap flights, trade shows are cancelled, stock markets plunge all across the world, uh, annihilating trillions of dollars in wealth. Um, the panic seems to uh, uh, seems to be pretty palpable all over the world, right? Everyone is talking about the coronavirus. Uh, some multinational companies have, have already um, moved away from, uh, moved production away from China shifting to Vietnam, Bangladesh and Mexico. Um, and this really very much falls within the Trump uh, narrative that China, uh, there needs to be a decoupling with China. Uh, Donald Trump has uh, has been very clear that 
uh, China is, has taken advantage of the WTO and taken advantage of other countries. He claims that the Chinese, with merit, by the way, that the Chinese have stolen intellectual property from the uh, from United States corporations, uh, have broken copyright rules, uh, and uh, have used espionage in order to uh, in order to access uh, secrets that belong to American companies. And at the same time, the Chinese uh, closed their economies economy to and the sectors in their economy to foreign competition um, and so there is this decoupling taking place in the world and I suppose the coronavirus uh, fits very neatly into this anti-China narrative um, uh, I've got a quote here from Ian Godin a professor of globalization and development from Oxford University and the author of a 2014 book uh, on the backlash to liberalism uh, he actually wrote a book about the possible backlash that could be caused by a, a global pandemic. He called it the butterfly defect, how globalization creates systematic risks and what to do about it. And he said in a recent article, it reinforces all the fears about open borders. People are becoming far more jittery about open borders and the potential risks to our health, but also other risks, as you know, from the Brexit vote uh, that comes with uh, international migration. Um, in North America and Europe, he argues, there is a recalibration, uh, a wanting to engage on a more selective basis. Um, what was very interesting is there was a New York Times article which quoted the Commerce Secretary, Wilbur Ross. Now, Wilbur Ross is quite important because he wrote, uh, uh, he, he's, been, he's been saying a lot about um, uh, and pressurizing companies, by the way, to leave China. Uh, and he said quite openly, it will help accelerate the return of jobs to North America. Now, this is the Commerce Secretary, a very influential position uh, in uh, in in uh, America. Last week, by the way, Mr. Trump's uh, senior trade advisor, Peter Navarro, also wrote a book. He, he was a author of a book called... Um, Death by China, this is before he joined the administration, used the coronavirus as a stark reminder that the United States had allowed too much factory production to leave its shores. Uh, he said a lot of it is in China. Uh, we've got to get that back. And this was uh, on Fox News in direct uh, comment on the coronavirus and how the Americans see it as an opportunity. Uh, and uh, this decoupling is taking place at an alarming pace. Um, not only in America, we're seeing the uh, process of deglobalization uh, across the world. Um, uh, you know, the supply chains are being disrupted. And will those supply chains uh, be, uh, be re would faith in those supply chains remain after this virus is over? And that's a great, that's a, a really important question. Um, uh, and so will, will companies opt for safer supply chains and not supply chains are so, that are so extensive? I think the other problem, of course, with globalization is you've got, you know, what we call the just-in-time supply chains. And so companies no longer stock large amounts of goods because that's pretty unproductive and uneconomical. And so things are made to order. You know, um, uh, even supermarkets don't uh, have large warehouses where they keep uh, unperishable items for a long time. You know, things are done 
at a at a very at a very granular and a very rapid level. Uh, are we going to reconsider that moving forward? Then you've got the rise of the right, the Sweden Democrats, uh, which is which has roots in the neo-Nazi movement, the alternative for Germany AFD party, uh, who praise Hitler, France uh, uh, National Front, uh, have all prospered in in this era. In Italy, the League, whose uh, whose leader Matteo Salvini has said that immigration is an attempt to ethnically cleanse Italy, uh, has attacked the country's government for failing to bolster the borders in the face of the epidemic, right? In 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 Britain, um, uh, uh, Nigel Farage was on radio this morning discussing the, um, uh, the failure to stop international flights and shore up our borders. Around the world, borders are being put to get put up. And are these borders going to uh, going to decline? Are countries going to move away from globalization uh, with mass migration and international supply chains being symbols of of this new era? Are countries going to move against that? Right. Have a listen to uh, it, what I found was a fascinating interview with. Um, uh, with Fukuyama. I mean, Fukuyama has been wrong for, for a number of decades now, I must add. Uh, but, uh, but I think he, he um, you can see, you can feel the pessimism in, in, his, uh, uh, in his answers. So it's, it's well worth a listen. could be quite a significant moment for the world, not just in the short term, but beyond the life of COVID-19. For example, quite a bit has been said about the virus prompting deglobalization, trade and travel coming home. There are other potential social, economic or political implications too. And let's think about those with Francis Fukuyama, the American political writer. And we're so grateful for you joining us on the PM programme, uh, Professor Fukuyama. I just wonder what you make of this moment and whether you think it is a, an important moment for the for the world. Well, I do think it's very important. We've gone through a several decade period of expanding globalization and it's already produced a political backlash. So in very many countries, uh, you see populist parties uh, that have arisen that want to close off borders that uh, are very anti-immigrant. Uh, and I think that this virus is going to give them more ammunition. It's it's going to lead to calls for uh, reducing travel by people. And, you know, they may be identified by ethnicity since these diseases start in specific places. So I think it's very worrisome what's, um, mm. what the longer-term political effects will be. It might, it might provoke a, a countermeasure, though, a countermove towards more globalization in the sense of you know, no country can look after itself here. This is truly a pandemic. And, and, and if it, one country does something wrong, it will affect all the other countries as well. Well, that's true. And this is where the conflict between elites and populations comes into play, because it's the elites that are going to want greater cooperation. Uh, and then you're going to have opportunistic Pop, uh, politicians that are going to push in the opposite direction. So it'll be a it'll be a political struggle. You see that happening here in the United States right now. One one very interesting thing about this is that the test it comprises for Western institutions. Right, um, a pandemic means if if we're all affected, 
we'll be able to see which systems and which governments have dealt with it best. And it really might become quite competitive and a chance for, you know, comparisons to be made. Well, that's true. Uh, There's a lot of admiration for the way that the Chinese have been able to quarantine entire cities and provinces. On the other hand, the secrecy of their system is one of the reasons that this virus got out in the first place. And so I think the final judgment on which kind of a system is able to deal with this better uh, is still, you know, it's still up Mm. in the air. I wonder, though, whether the, you know, we hear about the strongman theory of government in Russia, Brazil, in, in, in Trump's America and in China, obviously. I wonder whether the strongman government will say we can deal with it better than these, you know, committees of, of, of Democrats who are sitting around discussing things all the time. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the, the, you know, the experts will deal with it better and maybe they'll have more sway in the, the well, less yeah, strong man The strongman yeah. strong argument, I think, will be made. Uh, I think the real test will come if you get an, a future disease that's a lot more uh, uh, dangerous than, than uh, COVID uh, has been up till now. Yeah where you get genuine panic. And there, I'm not sure that democratic societies are going to respond less forcefully than ones with uh, authoritarian leadership. One of the themes you've written about in the past is trust. Now, put the trust frame over all of this, because in some ways it's much easier for the authorities to get us to do what they consider the right thing or the wrong thing for society if we trust them. And we're not, and we are a little bit deferential. I wonder whether you think the deference, the trust capital, is in the bank there with the authorities for us to be listening to what they say. Well, I think that it depends on the country. Uh, as an American, you know, we're always talking about our president Donald Trump, uh, and I think he's piled up such a record of distortions and self-interested lying about things that his credibility on an issue like this is is relatively low. On the other hand. In other countries, I think with more responsible leaderships, uh, I think people are deferring to medical authorities. They're really waiting to hear what experts have to say. So I think it it really um, uh, depends very much on the on the local politics. Mm. Okay, let me put you on the spot a little bit. When this is all over, and this may be in a year or so, and the history is being written of a potential pandemic or one that wasn't as bad as it thought it might be, but has, but has nevertheless shaken the world. What do you outline for me what you think the lasting legacy will be, if any, the way in which the world will change as a result of it? Well, I think that we were in the process of rethinking globalization in any event, uh, or at least the extent to which the world had globalized prior to 2016. And I think that discussion is going to continue, whether we want supply chains that are this much embedded in other countries, whether we really don't want to, whether we want to give up on controlling borders. And I think, you know, even if the disease subsides, uh, that can, that discussion is going to continue. Do you, do you think it's going to make a, a, a marked, a marked difference? Uh, well, <laughs> that's one of those questions you can't answer really until we know what the full extent of the disease is. I do think though, that if you think about this rationally this is not the this is not going to be the last disease that we're going to suffer from uh, globally uh, and the next one could be worse there's lots of ways in which it could be more lethal it could spread more easily uh, and the like and <clears throat> so i do think that it, it is going to 
engender a, a you know a serious discussion about the extent to which we want to be uh, interrelated in the way we become. Everyone loves a historical parallel, and I. I, I, I Danny Finkelstein, one here, wrote in the Times yesterday, it's a kind of 9-11 moment, a sort of wake-up in which you suddenly realise there was a danger that you didn't realise was there, is there, and it changes your whole thinking about it. Is there, a, is there an historic event that you think it compares to? Well, you know, the obvious one would be the bubonic plague in the, you know, 13th, 14th century. <laughs> I, I sincerely hope it is not that bad, <laughs> Professor Um Yeah, it did lead to a lot of political consequences, but... You know, the the reason that I don't think they're easy parallels is that the world has never been as globalized as it is mm-hmm. now, you know, with air travel and, and the movement of people across national borders. And so it is very hard to think of a, you know, a, a real case where we face something like this. Professor Fukuyama, Francis Fukuyama, nice to have you on the program. Thanks for joining us.